So, I am writing a novel. It's the show where you join me, Oliver Brackenbury, on the journey of writing my next novel, from first ideas all the way to publication and promotion. In this one-man reality show, I'll share with you my ever-evolving thoughts and feelings on how I write, being a writer, and everything that entails at each stage of the process. I'll also answer listener questions and, sometimes, actually quite often recently, (laughs) interview people who write fiction. If you're the kind of person who likes to learn how things are made and get to know the people making them, then this is the show for you. Today I'll be speaking with Michael Curtis. After working freelance in the tabletop role-playing game industry for almost 15 years, Michael has recently become Director of Product Development for Goodman Games' flagship product line, Dungeon Crawl Classics. One of the major products he's developed is a role-playing game setting for Dungeon Crawl Classic that is called DCC Lankmar, a setting with new rules and several adventures all designed to let people play in the world of Fritz Leiber's Fafford and Grey Mouser stories. Based on what I've seen in DCC Lankmar, including a detailed article about Michael studying Leiber's original papers at an archive in Houston, I'm comfortable thinking of him as a real scholar of the Fafford and Grey Mouser stories, stories that I have greatly enjoyed, would highly recommend, and frankly, they serve as a big source of inspiration for me on the first half of my novel's second act. So, for all these reasons, and the fact that I love Michael's writing, I've really enjoyed his adventure module uh, Intrigue at the Court of Chaos in particular, um, I'm really excited to talk with him, and I hope you're going to find this really interesting, whether you've never heard of uh, Fafford and Grey Mouser outside of me mentioning them in this podcast, or if you're a diehard veteran of Liber's work and role-playing games, and Michael Curtis, you know everything about him. <laughs> all right, be quiet, Oliver. Let's, let's hear what Michael has to say. <laughs> and here I am with Michael Curtis. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, how are you? Doing well, especially now that I'm getting to chat with one of my favorite writers of role-playing game products. For those who aren't already familiar, could you please tell us who Fafford and Grey Mouser are and about your first encounter with them? All right, well, Fafford and the Grey Mouser are two well-known literary characters from the sword and sorcery genre, which were kind of co-created by, most famously, Fritz Leiber and his his very good friend Harry Otto Fisher. Uh, and the two of them kind of, Fafford and the Grey Mouser kind of came into existence because uh, Fritz and Harry would write letters to one another, especially during the Depression. Uh, these very long, spiraling you know letters where they would talk about literature and philosophy and all sorts of other stuff. And they they kind of, as a game between the two of them, they came up with these two characters, uh, Fafford and the Grey Mouser. And Fafford was very much Fritz Leiber, who was very, very tall, and uh, uh, Harry Otto Fisher, who was the Grey Mouser, who was somewhat on the short side. Uh, so they began kind of swapping these stories back and forth, and the characters slowly began to grow to the point where I believe Harry Otto Fisher first kind of started writing a, a full-length novel about them, which which eventually became uh, The Lords of Quarmall, but he never he never finished it. I think he did the first 10,000 words or so. And yeah, then, it was about um, the first 10K. Yeah. And uh, so eventually it became uh, uh, Fritz Leiber's job to kind of become the official chronicler of Fafford and the Grey Mouser, to the point where there was a, there, he he started writing a story which they were set, uh, set in ancient Tyre, uh, which eventually became the Adept's Gambit, um, where, because they were, at that point, they were still set on, on kind of, um, historical earth, and it wouldn't be later until actually they became set in their own fantasy setting, most famously Naewon, uh, that Fritz would create later on. Uh, so, so Fritz, Fritz basically was the one who would end up telling their tales, but there wouldn't have been the, uh, the twain as they were, they're generally called.
all if it wasn't for both Harry and Fritz kind of working together as this kind of game that they did uh, to keep each other entertained during the Depression when nobody had any money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've always loved that it's a duo. You know, it's a friendship born of two guys, born out of a friendship between two guys. It's charming. Right. It's got this is one of the great kind of, um, you know, uh, bromances of, of sword and sorcery, uh, sword and sorcery literature, as far as I'm concerned. Um, myself, I was not introduced to them through the story, strangely enough. I was introduced through them through, uh, the, uh, the old first edition AD&D Deities and Demigods book, which I think was like 81 or something. I remember looking through that because I, I, back in the day, I, I loved playing thieves. Thieves were my favorite class. And then when I was going through Deities and Demigods, there's this whole thing about like the Thieves Guild of Lagmar and how you know uh, the great mouser is this great thief who's also like a magic user and and all this all this kind of world building that uh, Jim Ward had kind of put together from the original stories so it, it was always captured by imagination one of the one of the great things kind of like like the movie Jaws it's like it, it, it's so great because it's all the stuff that you're forced to kind of make up on your own rather than what you have to work with so I, I just I love the setting and it wasn't until I think 88 it wasn't until about nine no, no, seven 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 or eight years later when I found uh the knights and knaves of swords in the old spinner rack at my local pharmacy. And I said, I think I know who those two characters are and got it. And sure enough, it was Faffer and the Great Mouser. That was, that was my introduction to the actual stories. The first, that was the, the first stories I had actually read. Oh, interesting. So that was right near the end of the series, right? Was that the last one or the second last one? Well, it was the last one that Fritz wrote. The library wrote, uh, pardon me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Robin, was it, uh, Robin Wayne, Oh, oh I, yeah, I forget yeah. it. Yeah, there was one. Swords Against the Shadowlands was a novel that was not written by Liber, but was uh, was authorized by the estate. So, uh, Knights and Knaves of Swords were the last one that Fritz actually did, which a lot of people will say, myself being one of them, is not his best work. So, the fact that like I came in with kind of like his worst stories in the Fafford and Grey Master story, the fact that I, I became such a fan of it, it probably says a lot about his writing, or at least uh, what I'm willing to suffer for a good, you know, a good uh, fantasy story. <laughs> yeah, I do appreciate appreciate how in those final books he took a big risk you know aged up his characters and took them out of their main setting Lankmar where most people have fallen in love with them but yeah it's true those stories are pretty uneven as I became more and more aware of like the stories and Fritz's life, I, I understand those decisions, but you know, not having that knowledge when I first kind of came into it, I, again, I ran this like, where's all this Lankmar stuff? Where's this, where's this thieves guild and everything they were talking about in the deities and demigods, you know, that none of that is in here. You know, they're, they're like, they're, you know, this was 89. So I was six, 16 at the time or whatever. Like, what are these old guys doing in here? You know, <laughs> cause, cause they were in there like, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were in there like late thirties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that was that was my introduction through the for the uh, the, the first way, you know, through Deities and Demigods, and then like the worst novel. And it wasn't until actually college that I started reading the good stuff because just my my university library just happened to have all of the stories. Why do you feel, as plainly a very big fan of Fafnir and Grey Mouser and their stories, uh, that people should read those stories? What do they bring that your Game of Thrones or your Lord of the Rings doesn't? My personal opinion is that Liber has created such a great personal dynamic between Faffer and the Grey Master. You get, there's so much in fantasy, which is either kind of the loner hero, whether it's, you know, your Conan or, you know, like that, or you have like the huge fellowships of, of, you know, like, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings, where you have lots of very interpersonal dynamics. And the writing between Fafnir and the Grey Master is their their conversations, their dialogue. There's a there's a level of similitude that you get with that you don't really get with a lot of other fantasy. It's like this is really sounds like two people who know each other for a long time and they're used to kind of getting into shenanigans with one another. And they're they're really good friends, but like a lot of that time they have like that friendship where your friend is just really pissing you off and like but you have the, you have the right to tell them that you know. <laughs> 
I, I think there's a realism there, and there's a humor there, which you don't really get a lot in. I mean, you know, uh, sword and sorcery tend to be either dour or, you know, they, they're they very highfalutin. You know, this is high fantasy we have to deal with, where I always call Fat from the Grandmaster, they're, they're blue-collar heroes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, they are, they're literally, they're, they're you know, good, good, solid people of the earth who just want to rip you off, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's an entertainment there that I personally, I find in library, which I don't find in a lot of other sword and sorcery authors. So. Yeah, and I like what you say about how, you know, they're best buddies, but we sometimes get to see them on the outs. I mean, there are whole stories that start with, like, they've been having a big fight lately, but let's check in on them and see how they're doing. So that actually brings me to my next question. Uh, forgive me if I'm mistaken, but I believe on a recent Goodman Games Twitch broadcast, you said that Lean Times in Lankmar is your favorite Fafford and Grey Mouser story. If that's correct, could you please explain for us why that is? Yes, Lean, yes, Lean Times is my favorite, just because there it's it's an entertaining story, but there's a lot going on there. Uh, there's a lot of subtext, which at times isn't quite exactly subtext. It, Lean Times in Lankmar, for anyone who has not read it, it describes the way religion works in Lankmar, is that basically these religions kind of, they come in through like the Marsh Gate, and uh, depending on their popularity, they work up and down the street of the gods, you know, so you like the, the, these weird little cults and then like the cults get a following and like the bigger following they're able to take over like better places along the street and eventually they work them way up like all the way down to the end where the big temples are and if they're really lucky they get a big temple and then as time goes they kind of fall out of uh, you know favor and they begin working their way back down the street and eventually they go back out the gate and nobody ever hears from them again well i found that wonderful for two reasons the first is that fritz was actually a he um I don't think he was formerly a monk, but he was a priest for a very short, but he was involved with the church for like in some sort of official capacity uh, when he was young, like in the 20s. He might have been like a lay priest or something, but it was in New Jersey. And in fact, when he was writing uh, the Otto, uh, Harry Otto Fisher, when they were like exchanging stories about Fact of the Great Master, there's one he literally is imagining like the oil yard down at the dock in New Jersey, like looking over the Hudson River at New York and picturing Fact of the Great Master go, basically going up the Hudson River. And as a lifelong New Yorker, I love that fact. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so so there, there's some kind of like he apparently had a falling out with the church and never quite went back. So there's a little bit of that. You know, you're getting Fritz's idea about like organized religion in there. But the second thing, though, is which I think more telling is Fritz Leiber Sr., most famously, was a very well-known actor, you know, a stage actor. He was a Shakespearean actor. And Fritz kind of grew up in that kind of theatrical environment to a point where eventually when he lived to Los Angeles, he had a lot of friends who was actors. Uh, uh, John, uh, is it was John, John Barrymore. Yeah, John Barrymore. I was just reading a story in his book, Fafford and Me, about being at a party with him. Right, right. So he knew all this. So you can also read Lean Times and Lampard. That's That's all about that's about stardom. That's about popularity. That's about, you know, culture. That's where like you come from nowhere and you kind of, you have the rising star and you kind of work your way up there and everybody knows your name, but it's Hollywood, baby. If you're not working, then you're slowly falling out of the spotlight again. And then next thing you know, nobody ever hears from you again. So I, I think that's, it's, there's a very entertaining cynicism to Lean Times and Lankbar that I enjoy. Uh, not only it just being a rip-roaring good story, but, you know, like I said, there's subtext there, which isn't always subtext all the time. So, you know, so I, 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 I enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. I think it's the funniest of the Fafford and Grey Master stories, and there's some stiff competition. I really love it, and I won't spoil anything, but when Fafford uh, <laughs> uh, ascends, uh, I just burst out laughing so hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, was he a conduit for some sort of, you know, uh, supernatural force? Possibly, you know, I mean, was it, uh, was he just, did he have a little too, too much to drink? There's, you know, I mean, the great thing about any good story is that there should be a level of um, uncertainty. 
because we as people, we, you know, humanity, we want to ascribe meanings to things. Like we want to understand what things mean. We want to know the reason behind stuff. So we will, if, if you don't give us that, you're actually doing us, you're not only doing us a disservice, but you're also doing us a great favor because you're making us think about things more than we might if you, instead of giving us just some pat answer of like, yes, uh, you know, there, yes, uh, Isaac of the Jug did manifest through Fafford or is it, or maybe he just had too much to drink, you know what I mean? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think the uncertainty of it is, is a great is a great sign that it is a strong story to begin with. Yeah, and I do love the story. I like to think with the better sword sorcery characters in long-running series, you can start pretty much anywhere. But as we were saying earlier, the later books, maybe not the best starting point, although they work for you. You have a really great little list in DCC Lankmar of stories to read to prep yourself for running and playing the game, but I'm not sure how much overlap there is between that and maybe your own personal list of stories for people to start as a reader. You know what? This is, this is the thing. Is that I know a lot of people who they, they try to get into it and they read later on in Library's Life. I'm told about... I think about the 70s, he was just writing the stories as they were coming to him, very much the same way that like uh, Robert E. Howard was writing the Conan stories, where you might get one Conan story where he's like, like the first Conan story, he's a king, you know, like, you know, the sword, the phoenix on the sword. And then like the next one, he's like the frost giant's daughter or whatever, you know, where he's just a reaver out on the reaver, reaver, reaver up and like hype up, you know, and literally out in the snow and everything. So Fritz was doing the same thing. He was just like, if I have an idea for a great story, then that's where I'm going to put it, you know. He'll sometimes like allude to stuff, but it's not, you know, it wasn't until the 70s when they said, let's put these things together and form like these omnibuses of the stories and then he was just like write these kind of connecting tissue stories these very brief you know maybe 3,000 word stories which ties in like and this is what happened after the sea king you know the, the, the sea king you know the sea king's daughters and this is how we end up getting to like the adept's gambit and everything so like um the very first story Faf and the great masters are already together they always have their friendship they're already adventuring together and people wanted to know it's like okay well how do they meet up and that required him to write the story of their meetup, which is Ilmet and Lankmar. But he also had to write their, you know, like, because if it was a superhero franchise, yeah. everybody needs an origin <laughs> story. So we have to learn how Fafford got from, like, Cold Corner up in the uh, up in the Cold Waste down to Lankmar and how, how the Grey Mouser got into Lankmar and how, you know, so so some, there, there are some people who I find who find the very first anthology a little rough to get into. And, you know, I could see that. I didn't have any problem. You know, I, I mean... I've already read the worst of them. So like anything is anything is coming up for her. <laughs> so I mean, you can't really go wrong beginning where where Liber did with the uh, Jewels in the Forest uh, or Two Sought Adventure, depending on what's published under. I mean, that really tells you everything you need to know about the characters because they it was literally the first story and it was everything that Fritz knew about the character. I mean, that kind of sets up the story and it, it really gives like a three dimension to both of the characters. You realize that like Grey Mouser is a little bit more cynical and he's actually a little more. I don't want to use the word evil, but at least he's more of a cutthroat than, you know, Fafford is. And you expect Fafford to be very much in like the Conan, like, ah, you know, like if I have a problem, I'll cut it down. And there's a scene, like, like Fafford kills two guys and there's like, he shows remorse. Like he literally is just like, I didn't want to kill those people. And like, you know, to the point where, you know, Grey Mouser has to come along and snap him out of it. And at that point you realize that, okay, this isn't just another mighty feud barbarian character. There's, this is, you know, there's a lot more going on to Fafford here than just another, you know, Conan knockoff. So that's a really good way to set them up. You know, I think any of the really the good like Marset tales are very interesting because a lot of their relationship is about them and the city. And uh, I think Fritz does his best world building when it's just, you know, when it's just Lankmar. Because he just, he throws away stuff and he doesn't really come back to it. But you're like, oh, I wonder what that means. But I, since I don't know, again, going into that meaning thing, it makes you think about things and like makes you kind of try to mentally fill in the blanks and say, all right, well, what could that possibly mean? 
Yeah, no, I agree. One of the things that first turned me on to his stories was that he would just kind of intrigue you for the most part, throw off little bits and pieces rather than the classic and oft complained about exposition dump. You know, the feeling of almost reading an RPG splat book in the middle of a novel all about every little detail of like the tax code and whatever. Yeah, no, it's so much more fun than just to get these little bits and pieces, and it leaves so much more room for you to put in your own stuff when you play DCC Langmar. Now, I know Liber's Fafford and Grey Mouser stories are generally quite fun, and in trying to better understand his prose for my own purposes, I've noticed little things here and there, like how he has a taste for Homeric epithets, you know, wine dark sea, and so on, but I'm still trying to really nail down what makes his prose his. How would you define the voice of Liber's Fafford and Greymaster stories? Fritz does really good things with wordplay, which isn't immediately obvious. It's not like Vance, where, you know, like if you read Vance, you're just like, you know, Vanceian vocabulary when you do it. He doesn't use like necessarily esoteric words. Like my favorite example uh, of Fritz wordplay is he at one point calls, I don't even know if he's just using the term or if he's actually calling somebody, but he uses the term alley basher, which is a hyphenated word, alley basher. It's like, you know exactly what an alley basher is. You know, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's basically, it's like Marion for mugger, you know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's literally someone who hangs out in an alleyway and who come along bashes you over the head. You know, it's, it's stuff like that that just, he does, he does a lot of with hyphens. He'll, again, he'll take two somewhat ordinary words and by hyphenating them creates this kind of unique word that is very much like, you know, like Marian or, you know, Newan or something like that. I was working on doing the uh, the DCC Lankmar. I literally was filling two composition notebooks writing about the stories and everything. And every time I saw like one of those words, I would jot it down in there, like, you know, like Alibash or, you know, like, or like he said something about like tighten to a wheeze end, you know, of, you know or, or, or tighten their wheeze ends or something, which sounds vaguely dirty until you look into <laughs> basically, tightening tightening one weaseling basically means strangling them to death. I don't forget like you know I don't forget weaseling like a slang for like throat or was an old word for throat or something like that. And it's just like you know like oh okay. Um, <laughs> it's examples like that. In addition to the fact that his his dialogue between Faf and the Grey Mouse is very very realistic in the way that it sounds like a conversation that two friends would have. So I, I think that's really just inside just like his imagination and being very descriptive and being very creative, the way that he chooses to portray the word through his use of vocabulary also is very evocative to the reader. You've touched upon it a little bit there, but uh, how consciously did you try to imitate Lyra's voice while writing DCC Lankmar? I, I did not. Um, I, you know, because it's like Vance. Only Vance could write Vance. Uh, anything else who tries to write Vance is going to be, you know, is going to be somebody blatantly trying to imitate Vance. Uh, the same thing with Liber. I was going more for um, tone than uh, mimicry. You know, I can only bring what I bring. I was aware of his vocabulary. If there was a chance for me to throw in a hyphenated word, I would. But aside from that, it was more, you know, it, it wasn't, I was like, I'm putting on my Fritz Liber hat and trying to be Liber when I'm writing this stuff. Okay. Uh, now, I volunteer as part of a group dedicated to spreading awareness of a speculative fiction archive. And so you better believe my eyebrows went up kind of high when I was reading through the supplement number eight for DCC Lankmar, The Land of the Eight Cities, and I came across the article at the back about your trip to Houston with the Fritz Library archive. Now, I'm wondering, was there anything you found amongst the writings there, the drawings? I believe there was at least one sword in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, so was there anything you found that you didn't include in the write-up and would be willing to share with us? here. 
Well, I mean, the the thing, the real thing that showed up, of course, is the entire basically story, the, basically all of the background information that is in the Land of Eight Cities, because that all came from a story that Liber never actually published. She never quite finished it. Um, so there's the first, I think, about 80 pages of that. And if you look at it, you can tell that uh, that's where um, Swords Against Lankmar came in. Uh, it's, it's eventually the story of like, you know, basically the rat plague and everything in a very proto format. Uh, it's also the seven black priests is also in there as well. And you're like, okay, I recognize this story. In fact, some of the dialogue word for word shows up in the seven black priests, but there's this whole thing about where they're, they're actually getting into the land of eight cities. And they're talking about how the land of eight cities was settled and like mingles had come into the area and all the rest. Of so I was all able to pull that as background setting and put that into land of eight cities. So like all that background, interesting, that's, mechanical to the point where Liber actually wrote it. I mean, you know, he never actually published it, so there's always a question of how canonical is something that, you know, the writer never gets around to publish. They create it, but there's a bunch, you know, he's like, maybe got eight pages, like, now nah, this is crap. You know, it's like, <laughs> so, so, um, but that never stopped anybody from reprinting stuff. Uh, but, uh, so there's that. Um, a lot of this stuff was more from a historical, you know, sense of that. Like, there's all this uh, correspondence that he wrote between him, him and Gary Gygax when Gary was originally like reached out to him and said when they were trying to do the when TSR was trying to do the uh, the Lankmar board game mm-hmm. because because uh, he he had heard that Fritz and Harry had developed a war game back in the day that they used to play set in Lankmar and Fritz is like yeah it's like we had this giant board it was like six by four we made out of cardboard it was like three dimensional and like I don't know what happened to it you know so it's uh, so. You know, so that stuff is interesting from like a gaming point of view. As for, you know, I mean, I found an, un, I found an unpublished, I found an unpublished, the two things that I, I found, I found the unpublished manuscript, I found something that no, that had never seen the light of day before, and I found one of the original representations of the maps of Blank Bar, which mm. was another thing which I, I was desperately looking to find, because the one, the published maps had been wrong for, for, since, you know, 80 whatever, whatever they came out. So I was just like, we have to fix this map. I'm curious, if you hadn't seen the original, how did you know those maps were wrong? Because uh, if you read in the, if you look at the maps, the way they've been published from the TSR day, the Park of Pleasures is on the, the completely wrong side of the city. Uh, uh, okay. If, if you read Lean Times and Lankmar, the Park of Pleasures, which is located directly south of um, uh, the, um, uh, the bazaar, like the bazaar, the bazaar, the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the night market, like, you know, all that. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Gray Mouse can actually see it from when he's waiting in the closet tree. But according to the maps, it's on the other side of the city and there's no way he can see it. And nobody has fixed that. So when uh, when Doug Kovacs and I were going around, we're talking about the maps, like, okay, this is wrong, this is wrong here. I literally gave him the old TSR map, which would, had post-it notes all over it. Like, we have to change this, we have to change this, this has got to go this way, this way, this way. And then I found um, the, the, like, it was a better done version of the sketch map that, that Fritz had drawn when he was doing his stories. Okay. And then I was able to look at that and say, okay, this is this. And then there were more post-it notes. Like, okay, Doug, this is it. <laughs> so, so, um, so, yeah, so we, we always said, we, I always said we fixed that map and if you know if people if 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 you know if 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 one day you know if one day if we don't have the license anymore and yet another company comes along use our map as the basis not the other one so we have we have the right version (laughs) (laughs) Um, so uh you mentioned in your write-up that you have archival training how are you for keeping an archive of your own work do you still have every hand-drawn dungeon map from grade school or do you hew a little closer to a friend of mine who loses interest in every note as soon as the project is over I have stuff, but uh, being the same reason that, you know, cops don't watch cop shows and lawyers don't watch lawyer shows is the last thing I want to do when I come home is do any sort of archival work of my own. 
So like, I, so I, I basically, I'm looking to employ future archivists. That's what I'm trying to do. It's like, you know, so my stuff is just as, just as confused uh, as if we will have somebody have to come in and properly process it and, you know, arrange everything and put together finding aid and everything. So I'm just, you know, I can, I can <laughs> find stuff, which is because you have to say, I, I'm not only am I an archivist, but I'm also a writer and the two do not meet. You know, there's just, there's, there's not a lot of overlap of it. You know, it's, I'm not worse. I'm not worse. I'm a writer and a game designer. So, I mean, mm -hmm. you, you, you can't really say what what is off screen of this place, but it is just it is a mass of books and papers and everything like that. So, um, yeah. Oh, well, actually, that does make me think. Uh, I'm only aware of your game writing, but I'm curious. Do you ever write fiction? Is there any Michael Curtis fiction out there I should be looking for? There is stuff that comes from time to time. Um, unfortunately, it's one of those things that I don't get as much time to do. I did a couple stories for when we had the Metamorphosis Alpha um, license, we were working with Jim Ward. Uh, Jim put together two anthologies of uh, Metamorphosis Alpha stories um, that were, weren't published by us. It was published by another company. I did a contributing one to one of those. I did a contributing one to uh, he, he had another like post-apocalyptic one. I forget the title of it. You know, I have this, I have a novel that I've been, you know, like noodling around with, but it's, you know, it's one of those things is if, if it ever gets published, it gets published. You know, it was one of those things I had time to work on during COVID when I was kind of furloughed from the other job and everything. But then, you know, things came back and I really haven't, then I had a computer crash. I thought I lost it. Uh, but, oh, no. So it was, you know, it was one of those, and, then, and then by the time I got around, I looked at it. It's like, no, this isn't very good. It's like, I need to start over again. I just haven't had the time to do so. So, but, but yeah, I mean, I was writing before I was doing game design technically. So, you know. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to mix around the order of my questions a little bit here. So, cause I was going to ask later, how did you make the leap to writing role-playing games? But it sounds like, uh, did you start writing prose first or? Well, I mean, I'm trying to figure, I started playing in 1980, I think. I, I'm pretty sure that because I, I started playing with the Holmes box set, but the first one I owned was Mold Day, which was 81. So around that area. And the first thing I got published, I think, was probably four years later. It was probably 84 or something. It went for a, like a, a high school, no, not like a middle school kind of literary thing or whatever, you know. So I'm gaming longer than I have, but I wasn't a quote unquote professional game designer until 2008, I think was the first time I actually did that. So, so technically I had stuff out there before I was professionally, you know, professional game designer. If I had to hang my hat on the, like what I do for a living, it would definitely be game designer rather than, you know, writer. Because most everything I write these days is, is game related. Because, because as you know, if you, if you're writing a novel, sometimes it takes a while to get paid. <laughs> we're a game designer i know there's a check you know just down the road if i you know so you know whatever keeps the, whatever keeps the lights on that's that's gets the most of my attention <laughs> so okay well that's perfectly fair and uh do you mind i've uh, mentioned your new role at goodman games in the intro before we started talking here would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about what that's going to entail sure um i used to be a just a freelance writer for goodman games but and that started like i said about 2008 2009 so about 12 years 12 13 years later, I uh, just recently have, I am now officially the director of product development for Dungeon Crawl Classics for Goodman Games, which basically means I am the, I am the chief traffic cop of DCC. It's a, uh, my, my job is basically uh, about half of my day is dealing with the other freelancers, making sure that, you know, everybody has the projects assigned to them, uh, what the deadlines for those projects is, making sure people are meeting deadlines, uh, doing development work, which basically means like reading people's manuscripts and saying, okay, this is really good. This may be not so good. Maybe we can do something different here, trying to bring constructive feedback. And then, you know, deal, making sure we have editors for, for, for finished stuff and basically planning the, you know, planning the future of DCC over the next three years. And, you know, so there's, there's, it's about, 
65 to 70% management stuff, and then only about 25 to 30% writing stuff. It's, it's, it's like you say, if you do something really good, you get rewarded by not doing that anymore. That's <laughs> so, but, but I mean, I, I am very happy to be working professionally in this. I say like I've won, I've won the, the nerd lottery, lottery twice now, you know, once making a break into the industry and now working full time, you know, professionally in the industry. So I, I could not be happier. Yeah, man. Congratulations. That's no small accomplishment. I know so many people who would love to sit in that chair right there. <laughs> if you two want this, all it needs, all you need to do is have poor life decisions and mm-hmm. be willing to you know, kind of work in abject poverty for about 13 years. And eventually the opportunity might come your way. <laughs> so, okay. Poor life decisions. I'm just writing that down, but I'm way ahead of you. <laughs> That's the easy part. <laughs> There's a lot of those out there. Yeah. No. Well, okay, so as a game designer, reader, and writer, could you please explain what makes Lankmar, like, we, we've touched upon this with a, a bit with how the gaps help as much as the details, but what makes Lankmar such a fun setting, and almost the Ur city for contemporary fantasy fiction and gaming? I, well, I mean, uh, I think because we had a really good, <laughs> we had a really good crew working on it, uh, I would love to give, I love to give, you know, uh, credit where credit is due. My name might be front and center on the box, but um, if it wasn't for early on Doug Kovacs and Harley Stroh and I, you know, back in the days of Google Plus, we had our own private Google Plus group where we were just hashing out ideas. But uh, I think a lot of it is, A, the fact that we have a fleeting luck mechanic, uh, which very much encourages kind of over-the-top gameplay. Um, mm-hmm. Do stuff heroic right away because you never know if you're not going to have that chance to do stuff heroic later. And it's a vicious cycle of, you know, the more heroic stuff, you know, the more fleeting luck you get. It allows you to do more, you know, heroic stuff. That kind of uh, encourages a, a style of gameplay, which is just very, very fun. And the second of all is that whether by design or whether by accident, I would like to claim, claim design, uh, but uh, the things like the carousing table, the, it's very player facing uh, that. And you said as, as, a, as an urban, as an urban environment where players have a lot of leeway to make their own decisions. Like, okay, well, we want to do this this week. And it doesn't really matter if the judge has, you know, has prepared a giant sewer adventure. We decide we're going to go knock off the, you know, visiting prince of the Eastern lands and, and steal like his crown jewels. You know, that's what we're going up to. So surprise, that's what we're doing this week. <laughs> yeah. So the players get to do what they want to do. And the judge uh, gets to be kept on their toes the entire time. So um, I think that, 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 has a lot to do with why it is still dungeon crawl classes, but it's a very different style of dungeon crawl classics rather than kind of, you know, what the, what we we call core DCC is. Mm -hmm. And it was such a big project, right? When you first sat down and went, okay, we're doing this. What was your workflow? Like, how did you know where to start and how did you know you were done? Well, I mean, uh, I, I knew we were done when we ran out of WordCamp. Uh, so that was the easy part. Uh, basically, the, the the process of what we wanted to go in is that we we said, all right, Lankmar is is although Nawan is this, we have this entire world to play with. Lankmar is the is the is the focus of it. You know, all the really good stories begin in Lankmar. All the good stories end in Lankmar. So we said that's going to be that's going to be the focus of like the main set. 
and the idea was like you kind of begin in Lankmar and then subsequent releases would allow you to kind of ex like expand out from them and go other places. So, you know, so we have most of it is Lankmar focused, but then afterwards we came out with the Land of Eight Cities, which is just across across the inner sea. There's a way to go explore that. We have Rats of Ilthmar, which, you know, it hasn't detailed the entire city of Ilthmar, which is, you know, a, a, a box set of its own, mm -hmm. but at least gives you, okay, if you want to get out of Lankmar, like if you have to, if you have to leave Lankmar, there's a lot of like laying low and you have the cops after you. Uh, there's a way to go. Yeah, maybe some debtors are chasing you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we literally had to put in rules for laying low until the heat blows down, you know, the, the heat cools off of you. So we really wanted to focus on that. And then the idea was like subsequent releases and like we're working on like more phase two right now, which will take you further and further out from there. So that was kind of how we decided where we were going to begin. And uh, and it just it just seemed to work. You know, because a lot of people like, you know, like, why not have Langmar is literally like the Ur fantasy city. I mean, it's like, you know, like because it's been around since, the, you know, the 30s and the 40s, every fantasy city in role playing games, especially, but in like other things like Langmar throws a big shadow over that. So why not get a chance to play in the first greatest fantasy city? Like we couldn't just say, all right, we're going to focus on the cold waste. Like, like the first book couldn't be Stardock. It couldn't be like, you know, it couldn't be a mountain. No. You know, it's like, we like, be like <laughs> yeah, a few mountain climbers might like that, but <laughs> like, yeah, like we, we came here for, you know, the street of the gods and the street of the atheist and cheap street and, you know, all the rest of that stuff. So yeah, we had, we had to go there. It, was, it wasn't actually a big decision where to begin or how to end. <laughs> we just kept writing. And, and was it like, okay, uh, I'm going to write the new rules and you're going to write the setting details for that part. Or yeah, how, how did that go? A lot of it just came, came out to, I mean, when when Joe announced that we had the Langmar license, I was over the top because I, I had a deep love for Langmar and I said I was just happy to be involved. So we had a big production meeting about it at Gen Con. Now we like we all went out to dinner after we closed up the, the, the closed up the booth and we sat around and it was it was Joe and Harley and Doug and Brendan was there and you know it was kind of like the the central core of the, the DCC writing staff at this point and we were just throwing ideas back and forth and then we got home from Gen Con. And I put together like this document, like I had, like I had like the the Dragon Magazine archives, you know, that used to be available on on like uh, on CD. So I went through there and found like all the stuff that like the interviews with like Liber and they're talking about the Lankmar game. And and I had a couple of like literary magazines that had interviews with him. So I scanned everything. I just put together this big package of, like, all right, look, there's this, all this other information that we have to deal with. And that was just like Joe was like, hey, Mike, that's a good job. Congratulations, you're lead designer on this. So you know. <laughs> So that's how, you know, that's how I that's how I ended up into it. And then, you know, it was just really a fact is that I, having read the stories two and a half times, you know, while I was working on it, it, it just kind of was easy. Like, okay, we have to include this. We don't have to include that. And then from there, it was just like, okay, who can do this stuff the best? Like, uh, like Harley wrote the entire thing about carousing and like city adventuring and everything because he had, he had Punjar from back in the day, you know, back, um, which is, which was effectively Lankmar with like the, the, the serial stuff. Like so I left a lot of like the kind of the mechanical stuff or like the game is stuff on him. And I was like focusing a lot on the background. And then, you know, we had a lot of patrons to deal up. I had already done some, but we had to like flesh those out. So that was all like, okay, I think Brendan can really good do good job of like Isaac of the Jug. Brendan, you're doing Isaac of the Jug. You know, like you know, like Terry. Like I, I I forget at this point who did what, but it was just a lot. Of like you know, if if I thought somebody was going to be a good match for something, then I would kind of divvy that information up to, up to them. So was there any one detail where you were like, okay, I love this one thing. I'm going to cover that part. I'm going to cover Cheap Street or whatever. That's that's the benefit about being lead designer and now director of product development is that you know I whatever the project I'm like okay. 
I really want to do this. Like there's, there's something in, in like Bar phase two, which I'm like, I'm, I'm doing this. Cause I've been thinking about this since like Bar phase one. So when it comes to do, you know, I'm, I'm writing this one. <laughs> so, and, I, and I have to, <laughs> I'm now in charge at, so I'm definitely going to be writing this one. Um, so, yeah, but you know, I mean, the, the thing was that there was just so much, there's so much about the first book since it was so like more centric. There was, there's literally nothing I could think of that was like, Oh, that's just going to be such a, such a chore to detail, you know, you know, Oh, somebody has to draw up the silver eel. Oh my goodness. And outline <laughs> that, you know, I, I think the only thing in retrospect, see, I say this, but I don't know if I would do it because I, I don't know if I would trust anybody to do that. And that's just me. Um, was trying to reconcile the thieves house for, uh, for our, uh, 12 Lankmar locations, because the thieves house is described in two separate library stories and the description are completely different. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, like, one is literally this warren of like, you know, like back street, you know, like, like houses that like bleed into each other and all the rest of that stuff. And then, uh, in, uh, Ilmet and Lankmar, it's literally like a straight hallway. <laughs> so it's like, it's like yeah. how do you make this? You know? <laughs> but I guess reconciling inconsistencies is part of the game, right? I mean, I think about earlier in our conversation today, you were mentioning how in one story, Great Master is the more bloodthirsty of the two, but I was re-reviewing Ilmet in Lankmar, and there's a part in his meeting Fafford where Fafford's the more bloodthirsty, and Grey Master's like, hey man, don't kill unless you have to, you know, kind of thing. And so, what can you do, right? He wrote these characters for 50 years. You're going to get the occasional muddle. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing of like, um, like if you're watching, like, if you're watching like a, like if you're streaming something, if you're binge watching something, you know, it's like, you know, you're what you have the benefit of you're watching that immediately one after the other and everything, you know? So it's, it's easy. Oh, well they for obviously forgot about this in season one, which I watched last week, you know, where if you're writing like literally Fafford, the first one was, I think the first one is in the thirties and the last one is in the eighties. So he's literally writing for 50 plus years. And so I'll let him slip if he forgets something about a character development or something, you know, I mean, that happens to the best of us. Um, so I think that's just that that's just one of the curses of longevity. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. And at the end of the day, he still created all these wonderful stories with all these wonderful characters who, as far as I'm concerned, and I don't think I'm alone in this, are maybe second only to Robert E. Howard's Conan and the influence they've had on fantasy writing in general. Never mind just sword and sorcery. Like you were saying, just look at Lankmar. I I mean, look, just look at Ankh Poor in Terry Pratchett's stories. I mean, directly out of Lankmar and so many others as well. He, he's such a such a cornerstone of fantasy. I want more people to know about it. And so I'm happy to have you on here to help spread the good word. <laughs> you, know, maybe, you know, get Fafford and Grey Mouse and themselves a, a, li a little further up on Temple Street there. I mean, we, you know, we and uh, the I guess the the, uh, the the estate is very happy with us because uh, I, I think it would it would be it wouldn't be. It wouldn't behoove me if I was to point out the fact is that uh, Tales from the Magician's Skull, the literary magazine that we put out, also has the first authorized uh, Fafrin Great Master story uh, of this of this millennium. Like the last <laughs> one was Robert Wayne, uh, Robin Wayne Bailey. That was the name that could not. Uh, he he did Swords Against the Shadowland, which was published in the 90s. So that was yeah, 98. I've got somewhere in my notes here. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the last time anybody has actually done any new Fafrin Great Master stories. 
Uh, so, so there you go. So as I say, it's been a thousand years since anybody has done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read that story and I really, really liked it. Yeah, the Tales of the Magician Skull issue number six. I strongly recommend it for all the other stories as well. But yeah, Nathan Long's story, it felt like his own thing. It was a great pastiche. It felt like Fritz Leiber without being a bad copy or whatever. And I did appreciate how it was a story centered around theater and theatricality, which just feels like kind of a nice little nod mm-hmm. to Lieber's background, right? Right. Yeah, it was wonderful. Now, I know you're not the editor of the magazine, but were you consulted like on who to go to? No, um, no, Joe, Joe, uh, Joe, Joe forwarded me the story after it was already finished. You know, uh, that was, but that was it. It was just like, I was not, uh, I was not consulted for background or anything like that. And I, I did not feel that I had to be either. You know, it's just, you know, I mean, other people are capable of doing research just as well as I am. You know, I'm a, I, I don't I do not proclaim myself to be the foremost library, you know, scholar in the United States living today or anything. I, I just happen to know what I like. And I if I like something, I, I put a lot of effort into, you know, perhaps maybe just too much effort sometimes uh, into, you know, into learning everything I possibly can about that. Uh, so I just I know enough to, to keep publishing DC and like bar stuff. And uh, as you mentioned, I'm looking for, basically I'm looking for the holes. This is like I like the stuff of like okay, what can we jam in here that you know has not was, is not you know contradicted by anything else that's like in the established canon, or what is mentioned so briefly in the canon that we can do something with it? You know, it's like um, there's like, there's one story of like the the sacred kiss of the priestess of Jajil or something like that, and I was just like, all right, they're, apparently they're sacred priestess of Jajil and they show up in Mask of Langbar because that's literally all I had is one sentence and I can just hang an entire plot on it. So, you know, it's a, it's a very, very, very spiky sentence. <laughs> you can hang a lot of stuff. On. Oh, I love it. Yeah, exactly. It can be a little reference like that or something as big as, uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward very much to when you guys can provide something more on Cormal or even Rymile. Like, I, as uneven as those later stories were, I really loved getting to know that setting and getting to know the guys when they're a little older, you know, and all their different doppelgangers start showing up, but, <laughs> but I, I won't spoil anything. <laughs> If we have the license long enough, uh, one of the things I would really love to do is literally go back to the um, the the Rhyme Isle story and try to not defend them, but at least kind of make them as evocative at least to the point where like, you know, you know, like, oh, this takes place in Rhyme Isle. You don't immediately snub your nose. I was like, ah, I don't want to go to like fantasy Iceland. You know, it's like, you know, like, I was like, oh, maybe there's something here. You know, I don't know if that'll ever happen, but you know, it's on the, it's on the medium list of stuff I would like to do with, with the license while we have it. But if people are like, you know, if people have like, oh, well, we have a Quarmall box set coming out. I'm not saying we're having Quarmall boxes. I'm <laughs> saying if we announce, we'll, you have two choices. You can either have the Rhyme Isle the source book or the, you know, the Quarmall source book. I've a feeling i know which way the fan base would lean you know that's what i'm saying you know so. <laughs> fair yeah. enough I, I too would love to go against an npc with little eyelets in their eyelids so they're still watching you when their eyes are closed yeah <laughs> <laughs> my favorite details so yeah okay you've worked so hard to make an entertaining role-playing game setting out of uh, not only library's Langwire, you've also done the chained coffin with manly wade wellman who i'm ashamed to say i haven't read him yet but he's on my reading list yeah, yeah. So, uh, assuming no issues with licensing or anything, just total blue sky budget, money coming out your butt. Who cares? What author's work would you like to adapt next? All right. If I had my brothers, um, 
I would say, well, I mean, there's part of me which like says, oh, obviously the big one. Like, you know, like if like if we could do if we could do DCC Conan, we would like at the drop of a hat, obviously, you know, if we could do like DCC Moorcock, like if we could do like, you know, like Elric, like we would do so at the drop of a hat. And I'm, I'm sure I do not speak alone for myself is that everybody would want, you know, everybody on the on the Goodman staff would love to take a shot at that. Uh, if I if I had to go like a little bit more farther afield. Um, the thing I would like to do is I would love to, to arrange, to, to, to make an arrangement. Like this is completely, fine. I would love to get some sort of arrangement between the Lee bracket and the uh, CL Moore estates Ooh. and write the classic, like the classic kind of sword and planate setting, which is, which features both, um, both, uh, Eric John Stark and uh northwest smith because they are they are the two great kind of like protagonists of like the queens of sci-fi you know and if you read their stories you're like this could almost literally be like the same universe you know this could, i mean because it's all it's all with the exception of like the john eric stark stuff that takes the uh and the eric john stark stuff which takes later um this all kind of this fantasy our solar system it's like mars and venus and mercury and all the rest of that stuff i i would love to be able to have like both of those things just do this massive kind of you know sword and planet people with like ray guns and like old like you know like you know like 1950s kind of like pulp you know golden age science fiction stuff but with like dcc the stuff where you could play like a four-armed you know alien from you know, forum martian or something like that and there's there's nothing but like ancient temples on mars or you know weird weird alien races on venus and you know and curses and all the rest of that stuff because the the the, the line between sci-fi and mysticism is is very very permeable in like the lee bracket and the cl moore story so you know so why not so well yeah given how wonderful the parallel on the purple planet box set is and how i'm seeing people trading copies of that for <laughs> a lot more than it originally sold for people obviously love it it even went out of print though i gather it's coming back down the line right like a hardcover collection or something i i, I am just saying is that you know uh we are very aware of what people want so uh so let's 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 just say this it's if i if i if you had money i would say the chances of there being a reprint uh at some point in the future not tuesday but at some point in the future would be very very good let, let, let's put it that way you know oh, okay but but yeah i just think the audience is proven from what you just described there i i would certainly be intrigued by it mm -hmm. all right well thank you so much for spending this time with me and wrestling with the technical errors we were enjoying earlier uh so just to wrap things up I guess Lankmar phase two. Uh, is there anything else you're working on you want people to find out about? Right now we're just we're, we're doing uh, prep stuff for next year's uh, free RPG day and DCC day and everything. We have a we have a bunch of different um, you know like we have, we have a bunch of releases set in a score for that. So I think no matter what flavor of DCC you happen to like, there there will be something coming to you know to a store near you in the near future that you you will you will find to your liking. So, you know, obviously, uh, Dying Earth is still, there's a lot of big projects right now. Um, you know, there's a, there, as we say, there's like a, there's a, there's a log jam, mm -hmm. which has like DCC 100 is kind of like, you know, like jammed in the flume right now. And the flume is much narrower because of COVID and everything. But like, once we get the last of everything, like once the printers are working again, yeah. that's, that's also like, I'm chief traffic cop because now Joe is just like, we've, we've gotten very big since, you know, I, I started working here and so Joe needed somebody, basically somebody to come in and say, okay, you know, it's like, like, let's, let's help get everything flowing again. So, um, so when the levy breaks, <laughs> you're going to see a lot of stuff coming down the line. So, yeah. Cool. And where can people find you online? You have a Patreon, don't you? Where patrons get a little peek behind the scenes? 
yeah, I have a, I have a, patr- I have a Patreon that uh, I do. I, I, you know, I put up stuff for, uh, for basically, I've basically my, it started my unofficial, um, Goodman stuff. So now there's a question of like, how unofficial is it? But, you know, I'll, I'm uh, actually, uh, I'm putting, I'm starting up a new DCC campaign, uh, which I'll be running, which will be kind of like my unofficial like sandbox to test stuff out and everything. So, uh, so I'll be posting stuff on the Patreon from that, you know, cool. um, you know, you know, NDAs and various other, you know, agreements notwithstanding and stuff. And, and it's also a place for me to work on stuff that, you know, Joe might not be interested for whatever reason, but I, you know, like I have this kind of like iron age DCC barbarian stuff that I I've been posting on that for a while and everything what that might become something official one day. But in the meanwhile, I'm just like, I read Beowulf every year and I wanted something along those lines. So it was just me noodling around with stuff. So, uh, so there's that, you know, I'm on, I'm on Facebook, but I don't Twitter. I don't have Instagram or anything like that. So, you know, so, so you've got better mental health than the rest of us. It sounds like <laughs> I, I actually got on Facebook until COVID hit. And then I was just like, Oh, there are people that I have to make sure are still alive. So I had to go back on Facebook, you know, so. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciated it. And I really enjoyed chatting with you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate being here. Take care and good luck with the log jam. Thanks. So I'm Writing a Novel features original music by Gloria Guns and is hosted by yours truly, Oliver Brackenbury. If you'd like to submit a question, then please email it to so I'm writing a novel at gmail.com. Bonus points if you record yourself and send me an MP3 I can cut into the show. Doesn't have to be fancy. Using your phone is fine. Just keep it clear and concise. You can also holler at the show on Twitter. Look for at so underscore writing, at so writing. Please consider sharing the show with anybody who might like it, leaving a review on iTunes, or checking out patreon.com slash so I'm writing a novel. Patrons get to be thanked in the final novel, listen to episodes of the podcast a whole week early, and even enjoy a bonus podcast called So I Wrote a Novel where I read and comment on chapters of previous works, starting with my first novel, Junkyard Leopard. Thanks for hanging out with me, and Michael, and I'll see you soon.